Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today I had on the show JP Theriot, who is a chief executive officer of Uphold. Uphold is a crazy company that's done like $6 billion in volume over the past few years, serving like 180 countries, 23 currencies. They've made, they're like the the company that creates all the infrastructure behind the infrastructure of crypto that you know today. But he has a crazy story because he grew up in Argentina in the 60s during a lot of the crazy hyperinflation days. And that really pushed him to get into Bitcoin and to crypto. He's also the co-founder of a beef company and is involved in high-end organic agriculture, um, cattle production, uh, land investment, and really like sustainable uh, agriculture and growth. And we spent like the first 10, 15 minutes of the show talking about beef and, and land and then transitioning into crypto. It was really a great show. Talk to you guys right in a minute. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. Untold Stories would not be here without the amazing media company Blockworks Group. Last year, we set out to build this show from the ground up together. They're a media company with over 20 podcasts. And for access to all their premier webinars and other amazing shows that they produce in their network, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. And I promise you will not be disappointed. I'm here today with JP. JP, well, first, how do I pronounce your last name the right way? Period. Say it again? Period. Period. Perfect. J- JP, period. Awesome. No, Welcome to the show. Period with the T. But yes. JP, period. Awesome. There you go. Perfect. So the question that's been burning on everyone's mind that I have to ask you is, how do you actually like to eat your steak? Like, what's your preferred way? So this is the most important question. question. It's a, No, no, it's really one of the great questions because I'll offend most of the United States of America in my, in my oh, answer. No. Um, and it's been an argument I've had with American buddies forever. Um, but I think I can, I can give the rationale behind why the American point of view is the incorrect point of view, right? So, so Americans like super raw right like uh as uh yeah as, but that's not me either yeah well as an australian put it in a vulgar way he said ah just cut off its horns and wipe its ass mate right so so that's yeah. that's the the what a lot of people figure is a good way to eat steak so ha- having actually been in the meat business and lived in argentina and uruguay for most of my life the the argument is this if I, if I serve you raw, the best, you know, two-year-old Angus in, in creation and a really crappy piece of, you know, uh, dairy cow meat over here and they're both raw, your ability to tell the difference is very limited. However, yeah. if you cook it perfectly, salt it perfectly, one of them is going to turn into shoe leather and the other is going to remain, you know, the, the platonic ideal of what beef is supposed to taste like. So that, that's where good beef holds up. And so the answer to your question is, uh, there's a term in Spanish called apunto, which means the point. And it's roughly between medium and well done. Oh my God. That's, that's exactly where I, where I like to eat my steak. So I, I'm the same way. I like to eat it. I love how we're talking, you know, you're the CEO of Uphold, or we should be talking about crypto. We're going to talk about crypto, but there's this huge overlap of beef, of meat, like carnivores and and crypto, it's like carnivores and crypto. I don't know. It's like I've been in how many steak dinners have I been invited to um, over the years? But I think you're right. Like medium plus, you know. But there's more of like a temperature of what it looks like inside. Um, you're gonna offend more Americans. I'm gonna offend Americans by saying this. But Argentinian beef is the best beef in the world. There's there's because well maybe you're gonna say Uruguay beef from Uruguay is, but. It's similar. It's similar. Yeah, I think the idea is no purple. It can have a little, you know, pink or red, but absolutely no, no purple, right, in, in the middle. And obviously, grass-fed beef is is real beef. And unfortunately, I think in the states, a lot of it comes out of a feedlot. When an Argentine goes to the states and goes to one of those fancy steakhouses and tries one of these, you know, butter tender 
steaks. To him, it tastes like pork. It's like, ooh, I can taste the corn in this, right? That's yeah. That's not what beef is supposed to taste like. So, so I mean, you you got your start. You have a crazy story. I want to hear everything. Um, but I'm a little bit jealous because you were able to to do two things. You're able to work on crypto, but you're also able to to work. You were I, I read that you were the uh, co-founder of Estancia Beef. And they were bought out like family farms in Uruguay. Like, so you're able to do two things, two things that you're passionate about at the same time. Most people don't even, so are still searching for their one thing when they're 80 years old. Sure. Well, fair, I love both those things, but in fairness, uh, no longer uh, actively involved on the, on the beef side of things. So I sort of watch as a, as a spectator now, but I think there's a lot of companies doing things, you know, very well. I think this company, Belcampo, uh, does things great. They have a bunch of, of outlets in California. You're in New York, right? Not not California. No, I'm in Florida. I moved here four or oh, five great. years ago. So so they're present up in the states, and now I think there's a company out of uh, out of Oregon. Um, I think it's called Two Sisters that, that's also doing. The, the, grass fed isn't the sort of super exotic thing that it was when we started, say, 15 years ago. It's getting it's getting better known. Um, and, and, you know, apart from producing better food, it's also way better for the planet, right? Um, so it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, well, I was, I'm, you know, you go to Europe, and I don't know how it is. I've only been to, to Buenos Aires, to Argentina once or twice. But I, in Europe, I get jealous that people get to eat food that's been that's from or walked or grown or whatever within a day's drive. Here in the U.S., I don't know where my stuff is coming from. Um, it's actually interesting. Just this morning, I met the CEO of, the, of, of this... Uh, of this water company when I was picking up my food. He lives here. It's actually interesting enough, but no, but, but seriously, so you're able to, so what I started doing was they're out here, uh, maybe like 20 minute drive from my house. There's a local farm. And I just started buying beef from him because it's just, I don't know. I, yeah, I just like it better. I feel better eating it. Absolutely. No, for sure. Yeah, obviously in places like San Francisco, I think that, you know, local food movement has gotten, has gotten fairly popular. Um, you can go to the ferry building in San Francisco and there's tons of farmers there yeah. every week. And I think Florida's not quite um, up the curve on that one. It's yet, not, it's so. not, it's not your, your background. I can't stop looking at it. That's a real, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Very nice. Of you. So, so tell me, let's go, let's go back to the whole story. Um, you were born in Argentina in the sixties, which was a crazy, crazy time not just in the world, but in Argentina itself. I don't want to bastardize the story, so please take it away. Yeah, no. Um, you know, obviously too too young to have memory of it, but it was the middle of the, you know, the, the dirty war, the, the heavy times um, in Argentina. I, I have some fleeting memories of, of, you know, what that meant insofar as, uh, you know, one memory of once being in an apartment and hearing gunshots outside and, you know, being moved away from the windows and what have you and, and seeing a bloodied up, shot up car outside the apartment building um, in the morning. But yeah, Argentina is a, um, a puzzling place. It, it has an amazing society. Argentines, I think, are, are, uh, are Proud. A, different, a different sort, right? Yeah, but a but hundred years of, of decay uh, can create some some melancholy, some perversions, um, and uh, it's unique, right? I don't think there's any other country in the world that has gone from the first world to the third world with a hundred consistent years of, of decline. It probably explains, you know, the the penchant for tango and sort of sad decay that that's a part of it. Um, as it relates to crypto, it's obviously created a very fertile seedbed for adoption and understanding of the complexities of, of currencies, that's for sure. Um, I don't think it's an accident that Wences Casares at Zappa was, you know, like you, regarded among the patient zeros of Bitcoin, but particularly as it relates to Silicon Valley. But with Wences, um, it's insane because I grew up in, in Brooklyn. I, you know, I didn't understand or I didn't realize that when you travel somewhere, you can really feel and, and see and understand like the history in that way and really understand like how how when a government 
takes advantage of its citizens using financial services, uh, using it, you know, using its money to really screw over everyone. And so when I met Wences in 2012, um, he we met in person in California, in San Francisco, actually, I'll never forget. And we just started talking. And I remember saying to my partner, I said, wow, this guy is just insane. I mean, his story is crazy. He's so bullish on Bitcoin and no one is more bullish on Bitcoin than me. Like I was, you know, I was the kid. I was the kid running around like with his head, you know, Bitcoin, 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 crazy. And here is right. some, a guy who owns a bank or whatever, who's more bullish on Bitcoin than me. So that definitely, definitely pushed hard. Um, you guys have this, you guys have this like something in your heart. It's different. I can't emulate it. I've tried. You have this like wanting for your country to be better that Americans simply don't have, like, we want America to be a better place. Like, yes, like, make America great again. And it's a great place to be. But I guess you're right, 100 years of decay has created this, like, melancholy for for wanting of more. So why, I guess, like, why haven't we seen a a bigger explosion in growth in in South America and Latin America um, with crypto? Or I guess we have, but we just don't hear about it as much. Well, no, I, I think, look, from, from Uphold's perspective, we um, are our number one country is the United States, but but that's because Americans have a lot of purchasing power. Our number two country is Venezuela. And, and our Can we fastest, talk about that? Yeah, fastest growing is Colombia. Adoption is huge in Argentina. And I think, you know, it's sort of blending the, the two things, A, adoption of crypto and, and B, why do why are Argentines say more impassioned about improving their country? It's because there's a lot more to improve. In other words, I think Americans have gotten used to so many conveniences and things functioning relatively well, at least until you know recently. Yeah, relatively being the key word. Rel- relatively, but but one is amused not being American, saying Jesus, you know, they're getting worked up about that. Yeah. Right? It, in Argentina, that's like a daily occurrence, right? So I think I think people in Argentina have a very very thick skin insofar as the insults that its government can can throw at you know their daily lives, and it's just kind of like you know there's an expression in Spanish like "igual," you know, like "oh well," you know, another giant bag of shit. Whereas in the states, people you know uh, have a much thinner skin about that that type of stuff. So I want to I want to ask you a question that's that's a little bit. Um... Contra, not controversial, but you, you just, we both, we both agree on something in that you almost like when you put yourself in that position or you're from that place or you've, you're, 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 you grew up there or your, your friends and family, you feel the plight. Um, the question is like, I remember early on, a lot of people were saying that it was broken, kind of brought down to like the future of crypto. It's like, end the federal reserve. Or the other camp was like, no, let's transcend the Federal Reserve. So build better services, voluntary services that people will. That's that's the camp that I fall into. But yep. I understand why you would almost need for the financial services infrastructure to be broken for adoption to really like be stimulated. Do you, do you think that's the case? No, I, I, I think that, um, it, you know, I think that there's a free market solution, right? And and to the extent there's a lot of overlap between you know the hardcore libertarians and, and crypto, you know it, it would be it would be weird for the libertarians to not be in favor of things resolving themselves. I don't think they need any any forceful action. I think uh, the the best descriptor in a very macro sense of what's going on and why things will change is the notion that you know the great um, monetary experiment that that we've been living in since 1971 uh, is getting a little threadbare. And I read an excellent argument that the only reason it has worked for 50 years, i.e. going off the gold standard and allowing central banks to pull levers to you know, keep things r- roughly in equilibrium, is because of 50 years of Chinese labor arbitrage that has essentially taken the edge off of inflationary pressures. That's now coming to an end. Makes sense. It, that's coming to an end. And now it's like an airplane where the controls don't work. You, you know, quantitative easing, negative rates. Clearly, there's no, there's no sort of, you know. Something control. has to give. Well. So what type of scenarios yeah, do you think, like, our financial services world, our, our financial world or our world will look like in five years? Like, 
I know it's fun to say that, you know, we won't be on the dollar standard anymore and we we can talk like all these libertarian dreams, but realistically speaking, like we need to build a better financial world. Uh, but the powers that be are just not going to let theirs go to the wayside. You know, I, I again, I, I think it's uh, it's compared to the Internet, right? The, the Internet might have threatened plenty of, of legacy interests when it came along. Media, uh, you know, I don't know, certain elements of, of government. In Argentina, when I was a kid going back to Argentina, they used to listen. You know, if you wanted to call the states, you had to call an operator and somebody would connect you and they were probably listening to everything, right? And Yeah, of course and, they were. And your mail was probably steamed open, right? So so to that point of view, something like, you know, steamed email, open. well, email would be a, an existential threat, right? But yeah. But, but email happened, right? And so those those legacy things just get washed away. I, I don't I don't think, you know, you you have to abolish, you know, looking at paper mail by governments to to get email to work, right? It just it, it would happen by itself. And in this context, you know, I, I think the U.S. dollar is probably, despite all the currency debasement, you know, resulting from from the response to COVID, it's going to do well against other currencies because America is still America and has a, has a bigger engine, right? So in relative terms, the Argentinas and Brazils and, you know, even European countries are probably going to suffer in relative terms. But if Bitcoin behaves the way it should, if gold behaves the way it should, uh, and we do our part, in other words, what, what should we do? What we're doing there is, well, shit, let's make gold convenient, right? Let's make gold inexpensive to access, hold, and spend on a debit card, for example. And if you can do that, then you're giving people a choice. And the logical choice would be, well, shit, do I want to hang on to dollars where there's $9 trillion of currency debasement? Or I can buy gold for the first time with a couple of clicks and spend it on a debit card. Did right? someone give you my script? Did you give him my, someone <laughs> give him my, I don't have anyone here. Did someone give you my, cause you're literally saying the same words that I say. It's great. Wow. Uh, we agree on that. So where does uphold fit into that now? Because you're, you're building this financial services world of the future since, since uh, its inception. Um, you guys have served like, I don't know, 180 countries, uh, $4 billion in transactions. These are just some stats I'm reading on the internet. Uh, 23 different currencies, uh, tons of commodities and cryptocurrencies. You've partnered with a lot of companies, for-profit, non-profits to make them work. So you're like becoming this uh, this uh, like platform for all these decentralized and centralized financial services to like operate and interchangeably operate. And then you've like co-founded the Universal Protocol Alliance, but don't talk about that yet. Let's talk about Uphold first, because sure. we're all uh, we'll both jump around like crazy. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so with Uphold, I think you know to that that um, question around whether you know certain things should be sort of forced to change or whether there's a you know a, a free market approach. I, I think there's there's so much room for free market improvements in the world of finance. Uh, finance has been so protected for so long. That you know the two innovations of the last hundred years have been basically credit cards and ATMs, right? Uh, otherwise, yeah. you know, banks' yeah. growth paradigm is 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 you know more branches, more bricks and mortar, more you know lesser logos, changing the names, merging. Exactly. So, so I think you know banks have their their own problems without the sort of supercharged incursion of of fintech. You know, now attracting lots of venture and risk capital and and obviously riding the wave of what Bitcoin has introduced, which is an ability to create a financial system that is not derived from or a series of incremental improvements to the five party payment system. Right. Before Bitcoin, the big innovation was PayPal. Right. Because uh, eBay happened and and mom and pop who wanted to sell a toaster weren't going to go get an account with Visa, right? So, so PayPal reads the situation, becomes sort of a proxy merchant, and, and itself becomes the big innovation, but, but still very much in this, in this five-party architecture. And, and lots of the companies that have done very well today, you know, transfer-wise to name one, yeah. even, even Revolut to an extent, are all, in my view, incremental improvements within the legacy architecture. So it's all like within the box. You're just building within the box. It's not doing anything. 
it, it's still it's still banks and acquirers and processors and credit card. It's the same stuff, right? Um, and over here, you have Bitcoin that is reliant on none of this, an alternative to all of it, but kind of flawed, right? Like, who knows how well it scales? It's super volatile. Um, so, so very early days. And where we, where we focus is really at trying to be in the middle. So bring the best of this over to here. Uh, and, and there's just plenty of stuff to do. I mean, for God's sake, we allow remittance 24-7 from one phone to another with zero fee. I mean, we don't market that a lot, but, but, but you can do that on, on Uphold, right? And pretty soon we're, we're launching U.S. equities. So a, a kid in wow. Brazil will be able to buy $10 of Apple stock with a $10 worth of Bitcoin at two in the morning you know, on a Saturday. That's never happened before. So how will that change the world? I mean, you have a lot of people say like, you know, Europeans say we should vote in in the U.S. presidential elections because, you know, the U.S. president has such a, you know, a, like almost like is the world president. Uh, and it's like a tongue in cheek type of thing. Um, you kind of like I kind of see, but I, I I feel that like one of the things I try to do is understand other people's point of view. And I, and I really do understand that feeling. If I was in their shoes, I would say like. Yeah, because now that that Colombian kid can buy stock in a U.S. company, what will that will our world look like? I mean, like, can we really bring borders down? Well, you know, I don't know that it needs to be freighted with that kind of, you know, ambition right at the beginning. I think. Sorry, I know I jumped ten steps ahead. The judge <laughs> told me I do that too. Well, but but where you where you can't go wrong is is providing first-time access to stuff that has basically been the privileged domain of super-rich Americans and Europeans, right? So i got to write that down. Well, you know, where do rich people put their money? They, they, they don't put it in a, you know, a lottery ticket or the stuff available at the mall. They buy shares in the U.S. equities market. They put it into venture capital, into private equity, into real estate. And so digitizing and fractionalizing these things and making them accessible to people in smaller increments is creating freedom, right? What, what the Argentine government historically has done is say, oh my God, you can't touch dollars. You can't touch anything. Here's your local set of terrible alternatives, um, which amounts to, you know, my foot on your neck. The, the second you can say, hey, you think Tesla's a cool idea or Apple or Google, whatever, they, they all have their risks, but you should be able to access it as a, as a store of the fruit of your yeah. labor. Well, you now it's like someone said, uh, a rich guy told me once that rich people own things and that's the difference. But uh, up until now, owning things is impossible. Like, you know, even buying a single family apartment, uh, uh, that you can then rent out to someone. I mean, that costs money. It's a lot of money, but yeah. now with crypto, like you can go right now on any of these sites and you can buy fractional ownership, a $10 worth of an apartment that's bringing in rent of 13% cash, you know, uh, a month, yep. a year or whatever. So, so what did you say that you had a great quote? You said, you said crypto is, is bringing this, this first time experience. Sorry. You said that, that, that crypto is, is giving uh, what, what typically what, you can democratize investment by yeah by creating first time access to what has been the you know the, the privileged and elite yeah the privileged yeah, domain it, of rich people. I really want to push at that a little bit because that's not talked about enough. Like how 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 else is uphold and how else are you doing this and how else is our community doing this too? Not just with being able to buy stocks, but like how 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 can we further create more like global equality using cryptocurrency. Like your example was one of them perfect. Um, are there other ways that we can do that? I think about this all the time. Yes, access is one of them. The other is removing massive amounts of cost and inefficiency from the system. So I'll give you an example there. We, we work very closely with um, a company called Global ID that wants to create portable self-sovereign identity, right? So, so if you look at the amount of money we spend that's the dream, through, though. Well, what it means is the, the amount of money an uphold will spend putting somebody through OFAC, KYC, AML, you know, again and again, it's it's millions and millions of dollars, right? And if, if you, Charlie, came to us and opened an account, 
we'd, we'd spend all that money. And then you'd go to Coinbase and they'd spend all that money and Morgan Stanley and they'd spend all that money and so on and so forth. If you had a, a, a digital identity to which you, you could add um, attestation. So I'm over 21, I, you know, I'm an accredited investor. Yeah, here's my driver's license, whatever. It's all held in a vault, right? Um, and if you want to uh, set up an account with something like Uphold, it takes two seconds. And, and we, we just take data that's already there, held in a singular place. And, and instead of your PII being scattered all over the place where hackers can take it from one company or a hundred others, it's in one more secure place and you can move it around as you wish. That would take billions of dollars of cost out of the system. All that money would accrue to people's benefit, right? That's one example. I mean, there's, there's tons of them. There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with their team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino, fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Sherman. I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. There's there's so many examples, um, and it's like almost like heartwarming to to constantly be thinking about them. Um, in in Uruguay and Argentina, what are I'm just curious, like what are what is your version of of a libertarian, like our libertarian or like crypto anarcho capitalist is like very kind of like right wing fringe. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you look at like in England, uh, their conservative is like what our liberal would be. You know, right. uh, how does that play out? How does that shake out in Latin America? I'm just I'm just more curious. Sure. So, I mean, <laughs> more like conservative. Well, no, I, I think, li you know, libertarians. um it's odd, right? Because I think a lot of my own sensibilities might be described as possibly libertarian, but at the same time, I regard libertarians as generally totally wacko, right? Um, yeah. uh, someone said libertarians. Uh, it's funny. I don't. I don't use. Someone said libertarians are uh, people that are born on third and think they hit a a, a triple or something like that. That's a great. <laughs> well, that, you know, that's a, yeah. That's a good way to put it. But I'm, I was born into a, into a, a, a middle white class, you know, middle class white family. So I can't go Jewish fan. I can't complain either, you know, so. Yeah, I think I think um, so. So you'll find those personalities uh, in Argentina and Uruguay, just like you would anywhere else. I don't know in, in what density. It's interesting that one is now president of Brazil. Right. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's not too far away. Um but, but your but president, I, what's he up to? Your former president of Uruguay, he was awesome. The guy who lived in on the farm or whatever. Oh yeah, well he, he, yeah, he he was a good man, and that's really the the difference between Uruguay and Argentina is is Uruguay is I think the oldest running democracy in Latin America. Um, there's civil political debate. Uh, there, there's a right and a left like everywhere else, but both of them are very. Um, I guess they, they share an interest in keeping the country on rails, right? So, so, so they don't, it's it just, it's like a, I don't know, it's a throwback. There's, there's respect and, and some degree of integrity in the, in the process. And even though the left just gave up to the right here, um, it was all done in an incredibly civil way. So Uruguay is just a refreshing, wonderful little place. Argentina, on the other hand, is a total shit show and has been, like yeah. we were talking about, since the days of, of Peron uh, and probably before. 
essentially it's either been the military or the Peronistas. One is worse than the other. Um, and, and people would say, well, the radicals ran it with Alfonsin. No, he didn't. The, the, he, Alfonsine got elected as a radical and he ate six or seven general strikes where the country's just shut down. You know, how are you supposed to run a country when, you know, yeah. they'll shut down the airports and the highways, right? It's pretty difficult. So I don't know what will fix Argentina other than a brutal collision with rock bottom. Um, you know, I would have thought that, that it happened, but it just keeps yeah. getting worse and worse and worse. You, you are a big fan and proponent of the Brave browser. You're telling people to, to use it in general. Should people not be using things like Google Chrome and Firefox in general? Like I'm using Chrome right now. Well, it depends how you feel about um, being under surveillance all the time, I guess. You're always <laughs> under surveillance. <laughs> right. Hey. So, <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I don't know. In a, in a practical sense, I, I but don't... Yes, but that, that, I should still be using the browser. That's not... Just because I... I think that I'm under surveillance and we just because you think that you've lost your privacy in the world doesn't mean that you shouldn't exercise your right to privacy. So I apologize to my listeners if I was being impressed. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't even mean it in some kind of libertarian way. I mean it in the sense that if I've said the word Nike sneaker, I really don't want my internet experience to be, you know, a, a flood of Nike sneakers hitting me while I'm looking something up on, on Google or, or whatever the case may be. So the fact that Brave is faster, I, I find it, you know, very easy to use. And on top of it, it'll pay me for, you know, for clicking, using milliseconds of my time to look at an yeah. ad. Uh, I love that, right? And, and it's not, it's not totally de minimis. I think in the United States, it's like maybe ten or fifteen bucks a month for doing, yeah. for going, for spending less of your time looking at ads. That's no, it freaks you out. It freaks me out, like. Um just the other day I saw an ad. Um, I have a medical condition that I should take medications for, but I don't because my physical body, I can, I think I can overcome it myself, but that's my choice. But anyways, Careful. I see ads for that, for the medications for this all over Facebook. No one knows, like, you know what I mean? It's, so I'm trying to figure out like, why do I see ads for this? It's not like, it's like, it's like, Hey, Charlie, your medication delivered tomorrow. It's like we've like already post-diagnosis, not like, hey, you may have this disease or whatever. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. It's insane. Yeah. So, yeah. but then why, but okay, so let's use me as a bad example. Like if I see that and that is the most invasive thing, like you almost feel like you're like, like you almost feel like you have to go in the corner for a second and, and, and have a cry, you yeah. know? But so then why am I okay with that? Why, why as humans, why are we okay with that? Why are we, why, why don't we care more? I think we're, una, we're unaware of it. I, I, um, we're unaware of it. And I think maybe the, the bigger abuses are, are over in the realm of Facebook, which go beyond just, you know, doing it for the purposes of selling you things. Um, I don't know if you read Zucked, um, but, no. but I, I found it pretty interesting, right? That, that what they've measured is that if, you know, they'll create these filter bubbles, these these groups. There's always plants that aren't that aren't genuine, and they they've measured. They they know that if they piss you off, they'll get more engagement from you than showing you kittens. Yeah, they're trolls, kittens and babies, right? Well, they they just want a certain type of reaction and and, and your attention, and, and so being being understood and manipulated in that way, I think, is more upsetting than being shopped sneakers or medicine all the time. But I think both are annoying and yeah. particularly if they're slowing down my internet experience, but I find the latter more evil, right? Um, you know, withholding likes or, or understanding that at this time of the day, people get melancholy and, and start, you know, engaging with social media more. And, and so need to have their, their yeah. strength pulled a little harder. Um, I, I find so that. many companies have tried, and I've personally invested in lost money in companies to do this too, that have tried building out these these platforms to like, instead of, going back to my example, instead of the ad just showing, it's like, hey, Charlie, we want to give this data about you to this company for $10, you get half of it. Would you accept? You know what I mean? Right. Like if that was my choice, maybe some things I would say yes, some things I would say no. That's like the dream, Right. 
it's like where we own and control our data. It's like own your data. I have a necklace that own your data foundation.org. Uh, we, we don't own our data. I don't even this data right now. Like I own this show. There are more there are, uh, Facebook and YouTube and Zoom is making more money off this show than I will ever make. Interesting. Yeah. The so where the world is, my friend. Well, um, but, I, but I think this whole Web3 thing is, is, a, is a big, changing. It's, it's a move in the right direction. I think Brave is a real pioneer. The, the fact that its product is so usable, so fr- you, you don't have to be a technophile to, mm. to enjoy it, right? It's just everybody enjoys a, a faster, more ad-free experience, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's um, go, let's go go back to Uphold for a second. Um, give us some stats and demographics. Uh, what what are your like? What are your biggest roots? Uh, trading pairs. What are people? You know, because you're so Uphold is one of those companies that I put into the category like like Paxful and and other ones. I don't put you in the Coinbase category only because. Okay, this is weird, but I look at some of these like companies where you can buy and sell Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, for more like speculative reasons, I put those into one category. And then I look at the companies that are where their 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 volume comes from, like Paxful, their biggest volume is China to Nigeria remittance. So I don't put them in the same category as like the Coinbases. Does that right. kind of make sense? I don't have words for it, but you're in a different bucket. You're in the bucket of your infrastructure for people that are using crypto because they need to use crypto, not because well, they're but, just yeah. speculating. Well, but absolutely. Can, yeah, you, can so you expand I, I, on that? Yeah. So, so well, so the the the, the sort of thumbnail stats are we're, we're at about two and a half million users. We're gaining about ten thousand users a day, which is a big uptick from what we were gaining in November. In November, we were gaining maybe fifteen hundred users a day. So, I, I do think that as as bizarre and tragic in many senses that that, that COVID has been for many. Um, for for fintech and you know electronic payments and crypto, it, it's obviously been a, a fairly remarkable. Yeah, it definitely has been. Tailwind. Yep. It's, um, it's no, I have nothing to say. Sorry. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, so two and a half million users gaining about ten a day. We've done. You were reading an older stat earlier. I think we're we're at around six and a half billion in historical transactions. We are launching, again, fractional U.S. equities next week, which is very exciting, outside the United States. Um, We have created this phenomenal gold product, and actually, you're getting a bit of a scoop here because we haven't announced it yet. But but for us, it's the world's best gold product for three reasons. It's government-guaranteed. It has zero custody costs. It's physically deliverable if people want that. But most importantly, it's spendable on our debit card. So... That's pretty cool. Don't think that exists. Wait, so tell me how this works. So I can buy gold on Uphold. Yep. And I can spend the gold on your debit card. And what do you mean by it's government guaranteed? Oh, that's it, a cool card. It's literally government guaranteed. So so um, if, if I tell you any more, then I'm really going to blow the press release. It's okay. Stuff. Well, I, won't, I can release this at a, at a later <laughs> date, too. No, no. But, that's um, a, um, yes, it's like FDIC insurance, but on, on your gold holdings with this government. It's not the U.S. government. It's another government, but it's, it's not, sure. a, not a tiny government either. Um, so, so pretty soon, you know, you'll be able to have a sort of all-in-one wallet where you can spend or send or, or move between gold and Bitcoin and dollars and euros. And, you know, eventually we'll add, we'll do a deal with your friend that's fractionalizing apartments in, in yeah. New York. That's a great product. Uh, and, yeah. and the idea is just to add and add and add and add and make it all convenient. I almost want to do it for, for, uh, as a test case. Cause I have two vacation rentals here down the road and you know, they just bring in a little bit of income every, every month, but they, they do pretty well. We remodeled them 13%. We'll get 12%. So why don't I, I can fractionalize that, tokenize that, and, and then give people in Colombia, Argentina, or whatever to own a piece of that and just get a percentage of that. So, I mean, it's kind of cool that you can do things like that now with, with, with Uphold and others. Um, but okay. is that first experience worrying? Because do you, do you see the article of the kid who like lost $700,000 trading Hertz on Robinhood? He killed himself yesterday. I saw that. Obviously, that's a that's a, a tragic yeah. It's a story. Yeah, it's an exaggerated case, and it's always like a one. It's not. It's not an everyday case, but it does 
I, I like to, to it, it, it does bring me, it does make me think about the fact that sometimes making trading stocks like a video game is not the best idea. It, it, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I guess I'm of two minds on it. One, there, there's this temptation to be very paternalistic and be like, oh my God, that person doesn't, you know, they, they, they're not qualified to invest in Apple stock or venture capital. But then you, you take a step back and go, but wait a sec, um, U.S. equities and venture capital have outpaced anything this guy would have had access to or his parents or his grandparents. So, so, so in general, as a category, you're preventing this guy from accessing the more successful yeah, you're right. engines of wealth creation in history. How is that supposed to be, you know, a benefit for him? You know, it's like alcohol, I suppose, or anything else, you know, use yeah. it responsibly, right? Well, it's like, if you, you see a situation like that, and that comes out in the press. So now my response is, here is the market now creating its own self-regulation in a way. It's like the world is going to see that, okay, maybe it's not the best idea. Companies themselves, like Robinhood et al., will then like maybe make it a little bit more difficult for, for, for kids to do that. And that'll be great. What I don't want to see happen is like the government step in and create like more regulations on top of... because. What, what they have to realize, they, the government, is that the reason that Robinhood exists in the first place is to, is to create an efficiency of an efficiency that they create in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It's also, by the way, I read a good article that, that one of the reasons, I mean, there's the currency debasement, there's the fact that, you know, people aren't, that e-commerce has, has shot up. Those are the two big ones. But the one that hadn't occurred to me is no more sports betting, Right. People were having to go and bet on like kickboxing and yeah, and you're right, Bangladesh, and so all of that energy, right? Which, which granted, shouldn't be teenagers, but I know you know plenty of my college buddies bet on tons of college football games every weekend because it's their recreation. It all really is empowering are, people. What's that? It it really is empowering people. It's empowering people. Um, I just met a kid the other day at the park actually, and he was like, yeah, like. I used to just, I was a personal trainer and now oh, he still is, but he's day trading and it, it, because there was no like sports betting and stuff. Now you, like you said that, that need to like do something else is, has come out and he's really, I didn't realize how smart he was. I was like, wow, he's telling me the other day. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I, and I saw the, you know, the, the whole, the, the protests and the movement starting. And so I invested in um, like tons of black owned businesses and they've been doing really well. And I'm like, it's fucking brilliant. Like, you know what I mean? So brilliant. Sure. Sure. So it's like definitely empowering people. And then here you are. Now you have these businesses growing and it's empowering black owned businesses. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just a great cycle when you remove that, that middleman government like type of, and I'm not to say that there's no, I, I'm not a fan of like no government either. I'm a, I'm a voluntarist, you know, private property is very important. Well, I don't like labels, but when you remove that like centralized body, you can now create like a nice free revolving market where everyone is, is, is the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I, I think, I think it engenders literally, it's a cliche at this point, but an internet of money, right? So, so, so if you go back and you look at what all the things that the internet has, has brought, uh, you know, sharing economy, gig economy, how liberating is gig economy, right? It means it's crazy. It's, be, it's amazing. Yeah. Somebody sitting anywhere in the world can develop or look for a second or third income. Just having a just having a, a laptop, right? That, how liberating is that? Enormously. Now, you know, is the internet all good? Well, no, it's got some horrible, awful things yeah. attached to it as well, right? It just, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's the human condition applied to new stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, there's some improvements and, and optionality, and the people that didn't have access to anything uh, get their lives improved. But it doesn't you know, do away with human evil, abuse, weakness, etc. What is, well said, well said, um, what is the Universal Protocol Alliance and why did you start it, start something sure. else? Why so, do you start things? Yeah, so so we, we started it because it seemed that um, crypto was a little self-absorbed in, in so far as, again, this debate between between libertarians and purists and, you know, and, and, and it just seemed particularly 
silly and, and, and that it was doing nothing really to, to get it out there into mass market relevance for, for mom and pop, right? Um, mom and pop don't give a shit about, you know, some guy's hardcore libertarian view or, or whether, you know, sharding is better than this. <laughs> I mean, they really honestly couldn't care less. They want to know if there's an alternative to the, the crappy bank on the corner that's held their money that, but allows them to sleep at night that, that might bring some incremental convenience to them. Could, could they get better interest rates? Could yeah. they be able to send people money without having to walk into an office and sign a physical piece of that nature of thing? And so if you can deliver those benefits, and you absolutely can as a consequence of all that, that crypto has made possible, then focus focus on that. Focus on making it relevant to millions and millions of people. And, and that will that will bring success, right? Speculation is very short-lived, right? All it's fun. The, the, well, the mad run-up in Bitcoin isn't going to happen twice for the same reason, right? It might happen again, but it's going to happen for different uh, reasons. That's like a good point. Mass adoption or or you know, some killer use case that's appeared that nobody saw earlier. But but crazy, you know, frenetic. What if the price of Bitcoin FOMO. just never? What if the what if the market cap of crypto just never, just never, like, explodes or goes down? It just it's like a consistent accumulation, growth, accumulation, growth, like forever. Will it get boring now, or will it become mm-hmm. a long term safe haven asset like gold? So I, have a, I have a theory about that. I have a theory. Oh, yeah. And it's related to what we were saying about this 50-year monetary experiment getting getting very thin, right? So, so and the libertarians will love this, but there's there's Hayek's theory of you know denationalized currency, right? And, and I think it's it's all premature to think that that ever could have existed previously with the central banking model being as functional as it's been for the greater part of the last 50 years. But but now again, where you have negative interest rates and and the old you know levers aren't working anymore. I, I compare that to something like Brave and Bat, right? So, so how many users of the Brave ecosystem are there now? Well, shit, there's, there's 16 million monthly active users. All wow. right. Well, that's, that's bigger than a country. That's bigger than Ireland. It's bigger than Uruguay. It's bigger than a lot of countries and, and countries that have their own coin, right? So you have something that starts to take on sovereign-like dimension and and it's two-way flow. People need to buy this thing to participate in this triangle between advertisers and publishers and, and users of the internet. And people have to sell it because they, they need to sell it to get pounds to pay their rent or their employees or their taxes. So you start to get a two-way flow. But unlike the currency of Uruguay and Ireland, there's no printing press. There's only a fixed number of bat forever. And so now you start to think, well, shit, that starts to look like a denationalized currency in the yeah. Hayek sense, right? So, so at any rate, people aren't going to buy it because they think it's going to moon. They're, they're going to buy it because they think it'll do relatively better than the euro. Everything else. Right. There, there's no unions. There's no political compromise. There's no inflation. Therefore, there's no devaluation. And it starts to take on the dimension. You're making me very bullish on Bitcoin right now. Well, but but I see Bitcoin's different. To me, Bitcoin well, is crypto. Yeah, it's digital gold, right? Bitcoin has a different purpose, which is I I have Bitcoin. I don't want to spend it. I think it's going to be worth twenty or fifty thousand bucks in a, in a few years. It's a speculation. It's I think it'll you know it'll it'll perform like like gold um, over time. It's not transactional. I don't think it needs to be transactional. It's found a different part of the market. Um, I think ecosystems like Brave are likely to spawn the, the denationalized currencies in the, of the future. Um, you know, huge ecosystems with lots of users where there's two-way flow and people aren't either hanging onto it for, yeah. for speculative moonshots and they're not compelled to get rid of it right away because it's inflationary. So it's, it's in, like, in like a, Goldie's, a Goldilocks zone, right? Yeah. And so then, like, how do we make that transition from the, not the narrative, but like 
you have to know you 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 agree that like that we all play on that moon narrative a lot, but maybe sure. it's not serving us right. Maybe it's it's not the best thing that we should be doing. And then so slowly, the transition will move away from moon to like, hey, here's a great denationalized currency that is a digital gold, has all the properties, doesn't you know no political compromise like you said. That's the message, and that's there. I almost feel like that's kind of what I've been saying for the past I, 10 years. I don't like telling people to buy Bitcoin because it's going to explode. And I say, there's never a bad time. There's never a bad time to buy Bitcoin or crypto in general, because down the road, it'll do better than everything else. It's simple. I, I mean, plenty will, right? Plenty are complete. Yeah, of course, of course. But, but there are a few that are very good. It's a risk that, that I'm willing and I think people are willing to take. But, um, but JP, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I'm really thank happy we're able to do this. But um, I was sad that we scheduled it because I wanted to do it live with you. Um, but so we'll, I'll be down there soon and we'll do a part so, two. So here's the invitation. You'll come down maybe like sometime between November and March when it's much warmer. Okay. And we'll do, we'll do an asado with some gauchos. We'll, get, we'll, we'll eat, you know, over some, some embers actually in the countryside. Oh, and, my God. And it, it, it imbues... The whole experience will make the meat taste better than anything you've ever eaten. Just give me an ojo de bife and I'm good to go. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Wonderful. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offord. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power. 